everyone, and welcome to episode 183 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we got the whole crew here this week. Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish, how's it going this week? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Uh, not much. Lots of stuff to talk about this week. And of course, Chris Van Meter. How's it going today, Chris? I am doing great. Thank you for asking. Uh, so this week, we have a ton to talk about. We got the full Commander 2018 spoiler. So that means new cards, kind of overall thoughts on the deck list. We're also going to talk a bit about the upcoming Pro Tour 25th anniversary, kind of like a preview, some predictions, and then, of course, fish mail. But before we jump into our topics for the day, a super quick reminder that our podcast today is brought to you by SpikesAcademy.com, which is the first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. They have online courses by some of the best players in Magic's history, like PVDDR, Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosa, uh, and you can check them out and get 10% off with the discount code Goldfish over at SpikesAcademy.com, and also learn more at Spikes underscore Academy on Twitter. So thank you to them for the support. With that in mind, let's get right into it. Tons to talk about. So first off, Commander 2018, full spoiler is out, and while we are going to talk a little bit about individual cards, first, I want to hear your guys' overall impressions of the deck, because... In my experience, I felt like every other Commander series decks uh, or release that we've had has been pretty much liked or even loved by the community, but this one is a bit different. If I've been reading the responses on social media and Reddit, and people are kind of like up in arms over this Commander series uh, or Commander release. So is that justified? What are your opinions of this release overall, Richard and Chris? People are very upset. This is surprisingly upset, and I think it's a, a number of factors. So we got a new deck every day, and the themes this time around are a little weak. Uh, when we got around to Jund lands, everyone's like, where's the lands matters? And it's just a pile of Jund cards. I mean, I, I don't understand it. And it got progressively worse, and then as the week capped off, we got all the deck lists, and then people saw the cards included, and they're like... Where are my spicy reprints? You know, why is Sensei's Divining Top not in the top of the Library Matters deck? And why do I have no good land reprints? And the value doesn't seem that bad, but people remembered that Wizards increased the price by $5 per deck. So they were expecting some more oomph. So, and then, and then everyone took to social media, so many Reddit threads about boycott this, I'm very upset. And, I, I didn't really expect that to happen. I mean, I, I was part of the group that was like, what's with this Jun deck? But there are a lot of cool reprints. Um, but I, I think people are just upset because of the price increase. And I think the theme is not as fun. Like, even if the value wasn't as good at, um, in last year's release, like, the value was not crazy either. Everyone kind of likes Tribal. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, cats and stuff. This time around, you know, I don't know many people like, yeah, I like enchantments. Like, it, I don't think it has that same appeal. So people are just more upset. And uh, Wizards just can't catch a break. After so many good reprints in, uh, you know, Battle Bond, Core Set 2019, so many good Commander cards in all those sets, uh, you know, they, they stumble a little bit or they, they don't kind of reach that high bar they set for themselves. And then, like, boom, everyone just dogpiles on them and... Uh, Commander 2018, worst Commander product of all time, blah, blah, blah. And uh, this just, I, I don't know. I understand why people are upset, but I also think people are overreacting just a little bit. 
Yeah, if, there, if there's anything that the magic community exemplifies, is it's being level-headed and not using hyperbole when they're unhappy with something. <laughs> uh, so I am not <clears throat> too uh, surprised to see what's going on with this. And I think that it, it it's just, it's not warranted. Like, yeah, you can not be happy that some specific reprints that you were looking for maybe weren't in these decks, but there are a ton of cool new cards there are you know, still a bunch of cool cards that they reprinted. I think the biggest misstep, though, was in the how the, the decks were kind of presented to us. Like, I think that if that Jun deck wasn't presented to us as a Jun Lands Matters deck and was just like, you know, a Jun Good Stuff deck because that's what Jun decks tend to be, the reception would have been way better. Um, I think that by kind of putting these theme names or, you know, these not official names, like not official names, but like, you know, land matters, top of the library matters, things like that. You kind of set expectations for people and everybody's expectations are always going to be way higher than what Wizards is going to to pull through with on these. So, you know, it's real easy when you just have like a cat tribal deck. It's like, all right, well, I just imagine there's going to be a bunch of cats in it as opposed to a top of the matters deck, top of the library matters deck. Um, like, all right, well, if there's not Divining Top, I'm going to be pretty upset because that's, like, the card that has to do with arranging the top card of your library. So I think that that sort of thing is the the biggest detractor for it. Um, but other than that, like, some, some of these cards are really cool. Like, the Commander Storm mechanic is amazing. Um, I like that they have, a, you know, we have another round of Planeswalkers that you can use as Commanders. Uh, a bunch of the Mythics that they printed for the different decks are really cool, even if some of them, like, feel like they fall a little flat as far as the what the theme for the deck was touted for by Wizards. And, I mean, there are even some legacy playable cards in these commander decks, so I think that while it may not be such a slam dunk as, you know, what, what happened last year with the tribal decks, I, mean, I think it's a bunch of fun, cool things that will attract new players to play the format. Yeah, I think, uh, from my perspective, I think the truth is somewhat in the middle. I think that the community is in my opinion, overreacting to some extent, like Boycott Commander 2018, rah, all that stuff, that seems a little extreme to me. I do think there, they, there are some legitimate complaints, and I'm afraid that they maybe will get drowned out with just how over-the-top some of the response is bad, but it is true. Like, if you just look through these, uh, these sets and compare them to past sets, the reprints are pretty lacking. Like, that is a legitimate complaint. I actually, like, kind of ran the numbers on reprints that were worth at least $3. And if you go back to, like, 2016, it was an average of, like, 8 per deck. And then last year, it was, like, 6-point-something per deck. And this year, it was 4. And one of those is Soul Ring, obviously. So the reprints were pretty surprisingly bad, especially considering the price increase. And that's the part that just kind of blows my mind. There were so many, like, Gitrog Monster, Aura Shard-type cards that I had, I was like, man, people should probably, like, be buying these because these are the cards that, like, spike with these commander decks. And then I was like, well, no, they'll probably be reprinted. Those are the kind of cards that you reprint in the decks. And, like, almost every single one was not reprinted. So I do think there's some legitimate complaint there. On the other hand, like, the new cards, I think, are really good. And I think they did an amazing job with some of these designs, like, incentivizing new decks in Commander. And I think... um 
oh man, someone brought it up on Twitter. I think it was Chaz from over at Star City Games that was talking about how, uh, or maybe it was Corbin, I don't remember, but regardless, they were talking about how with like EDH Rec and the proliferation of people learning Commander staples and slotting certain things in each slot, that Commander has kind of gotten to the point where it's a little more homogenized, you know the best cards for the best deck, but then Wizards with these decks really went out of their way to print like odd tribal Commander, like literal odd cards matter commanders and some other things uh, like the sleeper agent card that incentivizes completely different styles of decks that we just don't have in the format so i really like the new cards but i think the reprints uh, i'm still surprised that they didn't just why not throw in an extra ten dollar card per deck in aura shard or phyrexian metamorph or something that's on theme and i do 100 percent agree with chris that a lot of the problem was the marketing if they hadn't called the decks uh what they had in hyping them up like oh john lands matters because i was really hyped about that when i watched the stream and i was like oh that sounds so cool that sounds different and then you see the deck and you're like oh, i guess like lord of the wind grace kind of cares about lands but otherwise it seemed like a stretch so i don't know i think for me the truth is somewhere in the middle i don't think it's as bad as the community is making it out to be but i also don't think this is one of the stronger commander releases they put out so i think arguably this year or this past 12 months uh, is probably the strongest period for new commander cards. Uh, we got, you know, a ton of cards in Battle Bond, you know, with its multiplayer focus. Do you think that has to do something with kind of the watered down feel of Commander 2018? Now that they're putting commander focused cards in other sets, um, you know, giving commander players reason to buy product throughout the entire year that they took away some of the the good stuff from this because they they just don't want to have too much of it they want to spread it out so previously we would have no commander cards in any products and then commander would come around all your good stuff is there but now they're spreading it out in battle bond uh you can even think like unstable and of course just our regular set releases multi multiplayer cards is that a factor or is it just wizards being you know, just underestimating or overestimating how people will value the cards in, in this deck. I would hope not. Like, Commander is, like, by far the most popular format that people play Magic in. Um, like, tournament players, you know, modern, standard, legacy. Like, there are a lot of people that play those formats, but, like, Commander is by far the biggest driver, I think, right now for Magic the Gathering uh, and Magic growing. Um and like I, I think that it would be a huge disservice for them to like limit themselves on the number of commander focused cards they make each year. I think I would also I'm gonna say no because I feel like the new cards in general from Commander 18 have been pretty well received. So it doesn't really feel like it's a situation where it's like, oh, they're just printing so many commander cards that they're maybe they're a little light on ideas at the moment or anything like that. Cause I feel like the the main complaint is really the reprints and I feel like that wouldn't really have much to do with Battle Bond or anything like that. It's not like we got Aura Shards and all these... There's so many Commander staples out there that can be reprinted. I don't feel like Wizards is really uh, cutting it close with, like, running out of Commander stuff to reprint. And I think one or two extra good reprints per deck would have totally changed the narrative about these decks. Like, I think it would be that. Like, maybe eight total cards added to all four decks would have totally flipped the flipped the narrative. Anyway, uh, do we want to talk about some of the sweet 
new cards from Commander 2018. Now that we've uh, we've kind of talked about our overall impression in the response, let's talk about some of the cards. All right, let's start with Gyrus Waker of Corpses. Oh no, we had to start. Uh, there's so many sweet new cards, Richard, and we have to start with what? We're, with we're starting with, with Jun Matters, okay? It's a okay. Jun card. Oh, sorry, Lands Matters. <laughs> X Black Red Green Zero Zero. When it enters the battlefield. Or it enters the battlefield, the number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to the mana spent uh, to cast it. So that's a little weird. It's not X, it's actually the mana to cast it. And when it attacks, you may exile target creature card with lesser power from your graveyard. If you do create a token, there's a copy of it that's tapped and attacking exile of that token. Meh. I'm, I think this is actually... If I was going to rank all the new cards from the set, I think this would be the least exciting legend of all the new cards they printed at least for me like it's a fine card it's a big hydra reanimating stuff is cool but it feels much less unique and original compared to some of the other cards we've seen yeah i mean it's i like cards like this that are flexible in terms of like you could just pay three mana to make it a three three the first time if you want to so like three mana commanders are generally have the potential to be pretty good um even if they are like full-on wedge or shard commanders like this um but again this one just doesn't feel too exciting for me right like this just feels like if i wanted to play a deck that focused on this type of effect um i don't think that jund is where you want to be i think sultai is a little more um apt at it and then you're looking at something like uh dc brood tyrant as a commander that feels similar to this but also gives you access to the cards that help facilitate it yeah, uh, I think this should actually have been a zombie. Like, it looks pretty zombie-ish. It should have been a zombie Hydra, at the very least. It is a Jund Hydra. I do like its first ability, though, because your commander tax is less taxing. So the, the extra mana you spend on your commander tax actually pumps Gyrus. So it's actually a pretty cool and interesting way to do that. Its ability is just reanimate for a turn, which... It's okay. Uh, you can build around it and have, you know, enter the battlefield effects and sack outlets and things like that to take advantage of it. But it's, it doesn't feel very hydra And uh, I don't know what this has to do with lands. So it feels a bit out of place. But it is an interesting card. Uh, next up, we have a Varina Lich Queen. One white, blue, black. Zombie Wizard. Legendary creature, 4-4. Four, four. When you attack with one or more zombies, draw that many cards, then discard that many cards. You gain that much life. Pay 2 and exile 2 cards from your graveyard. Create a tapped 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token. So, I think this card is moderately powerful, but I still really like it because it is our first uh, Esper Zombie Commander that we've had, and if you look back at like Zombies and Magic, traditionally they're mono-black, then with Innistrad we got all these blue-black zombies, and then with Amonkhet we got all these white zombies and like Embalm zombies, so I feel like this is a card that it's a fairly powerful commander, but it really fills a niche that wasn't filled before. So if you want to play zombies from all three of those uh, different sets and different colors, then this is probably going to be the go-to commander. And it does work well with that style. Like zombies care about the graveyard, the mass looting and gaining life is fine. Being able to discard your grave crawlers or like your Amonkhet and Balm zombies is a nice little synergy. So I feel like it's not like, oh my God, this is off the charts in terms of power level. 
level, but it fills a role that wasn't filled before, and it is pretty synergistic in the deck that would want it, which would be uh, Esper Zombies. Yeah, I mean, it just it, I think it's just a really cool card. Like, the, the flavor is there, power level-wise. Like, it's a 4-mana four 4-4, four, so it's, you know, nothing to scoff at. And uh, I really like commanders like this, where you're able to get an effect to the turn that you actually play them. So, like, if you play... Uh, before combat, then you're able to actually get some looting going on when you attack with your creatures for that turn. And I think like that type of effect or the ability to get something out of your commander the turn that you play it uh, is something that really pushes me towards wanting to play that card. Yeah, I like how it kind of snowballs itself. So for every uh, two zombies you attack with, uh, you discard two cards, which means you can then pay two mana to make a new zombie. And then that zombie then contributes to half of a new zombie. So you can just, uh, if your zombies don't die, you can just keep going. And then you have the synergies that Seth talked about. You can discard your embalm zombies or, uh, you know, you can stock up your graveyard for a Liliana or stuff like that. So I really like that. And it's the only Esper uh, commander for zombies. So now you can play with all your new Amonkhet cards. So I think it's... I, I think even if the abilities did nothing relevant, people would play it anyway. <laughs> but the fact that it's actually pretty good and on theme, uh, I, I think people will, will really enjoy this one. One thing that's kind of cool is uh, you get, it's an activated ability, so you're able to use things like training grounds to try and reduce the, the cost of it a bit to make it a little more cost-effective, uh, which is pretty sweet. Yep. All right, next up we have Tuvasa the Sunlit... We have green, white, blue. It's a 1-1 Merfolk Shaman. Uh, Tavasa gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. Whenever you cast your first enchantment spell on each turn, draw a card. Uh, so... I think this is a pretty powerful commander. The creature types are a little bit weird. Uh, that doesn't really fit with Merfolk by any stretch, but it seems like, a a pretty reasonable commander if you want to just be like playing annoying hexproof creatures playing this uh, making it into a big threat by having a bunch of rankers and other enchantments on the battlefield and drawing some cards along the way so i think that uh it's pretty good at the role it fills but i don't really understand the the creature types of this card yeah i feel like the the creature type was just kind of pasted on maybe it, it, it strikes me as something where it was like here is the art direction for it, and it didn't specify what the creature type was, and it just kind of looked like a merfolk, so they tacked on a merfolk to it. I, I don't think that the, the merfolk portion is going to be relevant at all, although this does let you play Bant merfolk. Uh, now that we have a Bant merfolk commander, even if this creature doesn't give you any synergy, it does give you access to those colors while having an on an on-color tribal commander, I guess. But... If you're playing an, an Enchantress deck or an Enchantment deck, you know any additional copies of an Enchantress-like card is going to be welcome. Yeah, it's kind of like our previous commander. It's your first Bant Merfolk commander, so you might just play it to have a theme. Uh, you can play the Lorwyn Merfolk, which were white, and uh, you just ignore the Enchantress abilities. Or you play it as a fixed Enchantress, uh, one, one card each turn. Uh, for your first enchantment, so not totally broken, but you do get uh, the the pumping growth ability of it. So it grows as you play more enchantments, and you keep drawing more cards. Uh, it's also bant, so you get access to more enchantments. Uh, next up, we have our our Esper backup commander, Yenit Cryptic Sovereign. 
two white, blue, and a black. It's a 3-5 Sphinx, Legendary, Flying Vigilance Menace. When Yenit attacks, reveal the top card of your library. If that card is converted, mana cost is odd. You may cast it without paying its mana cost. Otherwise, draw a card. I really love this card. I really like, it's a fine card on its own. Like, you can just play this as your commander. Uh, because of, of double evasion, essentially, with Menace and Flying, you should be able to attack with it. And then you're drawing a card every turn, which is already a good deal. But the thing I really love about it is it incentivizes a really unique style of deck building where when you're building your deck, you want to naturally, like, skew your deck towards odd converted mana cost cards because if you randomly flip, like, an Ulamog or an Iona or an Elishnorn or something crazy like that, suddenly you're getting a massive, like, not just card draw, but this massive mana boost as well when you're casting this, like, seven mana or nine mana card for free. So I think this is one of the cooler cards in the set. I don't know how heavily you build around it, but the good news is, even if you're just drawing that card every turn, it's still a pretty reasonable commander. So I was actually, I've been wondering when something like this we might see in Magic. Uh, and I figured Commander would be the first place that they could try it out. And the reason being is in the most recent Hearthstone set, the Witchwood, uh, there are two cards that um, augment your hero power. Uh, if at the start of your game you have all even or all odd cost cards in your deck. And that has become a huge part of the Hearthstone meta. And uh, not only does it, you know, is it just like something cool and unique? Uh, that allows you to, you know, build your deck with these restrictions uh, that kind of breeds creativity, but it also allows cards that normally might not have seen play uh, see play because they meet these uh, restrictions in order for you to get this, this payoff. So I'm hoping to see more cards like this where it incentivizes you for having, you know, certain card types or just certain attributes of cards in your deck because that's something that uh, is, you know, very difficult to pull off in a physical card game. It's way e easier to do it in something like Hearthstone, but the payoff for it is just so huge. Like, it's so fun. You know, it allows people to play these cards that might not have otherwise seen play, and, uh, you know, it's just, some, just one more thing that kind of sets you apart from the other, you know, type of physical card games is being able to explore game design space like this. Yeah, uh, I think this card is really good. So good that it might become bad. It, it's kind of like Yidris. When people see this, uh, they're not going to let you attack and they're going to kill you or it regardless of what's in your deck. So you might have scary odd cards in your deck or you might have uh, jank or just even cards. Like people see this and you're like free card off the top. It could be one mana. It could be 15 mana. It's too scary. We don't know what it is. We got to kill you. Uh, but something to note, all the extra turn spells, uh, most of them are even. So uh, it, it's not, you can't just manipulate the top of your deck into extra turn cards and then kill people. It's actually pretty hard to do that. Uh, but I'm sure there are some weird ways to break this. It's really strong. Just getting a free card. Uh, casting a free card is really scary, so... This is one of the cards that actually does care about the top of your deck, so while there's not a ton of ways in the actual deck to do it, uh, if you're playing your Sensei's Divining Tops and Scroll Racks and stuff, that's a good way you can kind of, like, break this card to some extent, where you're stacking an odd card on top of your deck and getting it for free. 
question. Is there an artifact that you just tap and someone shuffles in a library? Uh, it's not an artifact. I think there's a creature. I think there's a mirror yes. something from Mirrodin that soldier allowed... soldier of fortune does too, right? Uh, that sounds from right. like alliances or something. It's like a red one drop. Wow. So I think I think there's a couple creatures that do that. I'm just gonna play that to be very annoying. So I was thinking, okay, you play that to stop Yenit, but. To just be annoying in general and make people shuffle their hundred card double sleeve commander deck every turn. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> uh, just watch Seth shuffle and struggle and spill all his cards and pick them up again every turn. I'm surprised no one has done this. I'm sorry if someone picks this up for their playgroup. <laughs> all right, it's all, it's all your fault. <laughs> it's just so mean. All right, Castia the Cultivator. One green, white, and a blue. Four, four, legendary enchantment creature, nymph. Bestow of three green, white, and blue. And if you don't remember the Theros mechanic, you can cast this card for its bestow cost. It's an aura that uh, you can enchant a creature with. And then it becomes a creature again if it's not attached anymore. Enchanted creature gets plus four, plus four. Whenever an enchanted creature or enchant mint creature you control attacks draw a card it's another one of those cards that kind of incentivizes something different like this is while we have tons of stuff for enchanted creatures or at least some amount the enchantment creature part i think is really cool that you actually have a commander if you want to build around that mechanic and the ability is very powerful. We see like Biden of Thassa in Coastal Piracy. Those effects are really powerful and heavily played in Commander. If you're playing a bunch of creatures, you just attack and draw a bunch of cards. Uh, so this kind of gives you the same thing out of your command zone, assuming you're willing to build around it and play enchantments, play your Courser of Crew Fixes and enchantment creatures. So uh, not a super flashy card, but I think it's powerful in a pretty good Commander. Yeah, I mean... I, I like Bestow, even though it's, like, super complicated and confusing sometimes. But it does, like, again, much like the the zombie commander, I really like these decently rated commanders, you know, 4-mana, four 4-4, four, four, 3 3-mana, three, 3 or so on and so forth, that allow you to gain value the turn that you play it. So, like, if you cast Kestia and then just attack with, uh, you know, two enchantment creatures or whatever, and you just get to draw two cards and have a 4-mana, four 4-4. Four, four. Um, so that, you know, that type of effect is pretty powerful, and this is just another one of those cards that kind of slots into the you know this like weird Merfolk commander deck that we had uh, from the previous uh, Bant Legend that we previewed. Um, I mean, it's just it's just a it's just a good value card that I would want to play in my Bant you know value Enchantress deck. Yeah, I I like that she has kind of two lives if you bestow her so. You put her on a creature, they can't get rid of her ability by removing the creature because she just becomes a creature afterwards, so you still get that ability. Uh, plus four, plus four is nothing to scoff at. It's pretty good. Um, it makes for strange deck building considerations. So when an enchanted creature, normally when you enchant creatures, you want to go the boggles route, which is just slap everything on one creature, but her ability incentivizes you to go wide. So you're really building an Enchantress deck that is not really like a combo deck, but like a go-wide creature type deck, which is actually pretty interesting. And uh, if I believe her bestow cost increases with commander tax. 
Yeah, do, do you I think guys that's know? been I believe that yeah, someone confirmed that on on Twitter that it does actually increase. It's uh, how commander text works because I actually uh looked into this because I wanted to use Zahid, uh Jin of the Lamp. Anytime you pay an, an alternate casting cost for your commander, the tax is applied after the alternate cost is chosen. So uh, bestow bestow is an alternate cost and then the tax gets applied to that. Uh on top of it. So, like, for Zaheed, you could tap an artifact and pay four mana, but then you also have to pay any commander tax that's been racked up. Alright, next, we have, uh, my favorite commander, Thantis, the War Reaver. Three black, red, and a green. Legendary creature, Spider. 5-5. Five, five, Vigilance Reach. All creatures attack each combat if able. Whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Thantis. Inter- so, Richard, why is this your favorite of the new commanders? I'm very curious. It's a Jun spider, <laughs> right? And it makes everyone attack, and when people attack you, it grows for each creature. And you know what spiders are good at? Blocking, right? So spiders are usually 2-4s, they usually have a lot of toughness, you have spider fog, so you're causing everyone to attack. They probably don't want to attack uh, into your spider army, uh, you grow your commander to ridiculous, uh, ridiculous power, and then you one-shot someone, right? Because uh, commander damage, right? So the the bigger you grow this thing, the better it gets. So I just really like it. And Spider Fog fixes all problems. You can block flyers. <laughs> you have big butts. <laughs> so you can just block all day. So have fun, everyone, attacking each other. It does seem like a really good spider commander uh, if you want to play spider tribal. So I think that that is actually cool. And... I'm trying to remember, what was the last, uh, uh, Ishkanov. oh man, yeah, it, it, uh, it was, it was a decent card, but this seems like it is more geared for commander, so I don't know, like, it's just a big thing, I think maybe you can build around it, if there's a way you can make it so it's a negative for people to attack you, but, uh, I don't, I don't know, it kind of just feels like a big, dumb spider to me. <gasps> I, w- I wish it had cost 5 mana instead of 6. Then it would have just been a 5 mana 5-5, five five, which is not bad on its own. Yep. What are the what are the chances you just play this and die, though? Because everyone attacks you. <laughs> Probably pretty high. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, don't, you don't play it until you have enough defense. <laughs> it has vigilance, though. So the bigger it gets, you can attack and then still block with this thing. Remember, they got to attack through this 5-5, five five, right? Like That's not an easy feat. It has reach. It That's blocks true. flyers. <laughs> it is it is pretty good on defense. And then you can make it huge and like fling it or thud it at someone or something. That would be that would be sweet. That's yeah, I I feel like a big spider makes a thud way more than a fling. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we have uh, a very creatively named card, Entreat the Dead. XX black 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 sorcery. Return X target creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Miracle X Black Black. Uh, I like that it's kind of like the mirror of Entreat the Angels. Well, isn't it obvious? It's called Entreat the Dead. <laughs> yeah, I guess with they the, did kind of the same casting cost. They, they guided everyone right in that direction. It's a little weird. Uh, it's obviously not very good if you're hard casting it. The rate is a lot worse than other re, uh, reanimation spells. If you're able to miracle it, it can be very good. But then you're playing like a miracle reanimator deck when a lot of miracle decks, at least when I think of miracles, are like spell decks without lots of creatures. So it's kind of 
it'll be interesting to see where it fits. If you can cast this for five mana and get back two creatures, or I guess it would be six mana to get five mana to get back three creatures, that's a really good rate. But then you're doing it on like your draw step most likely, and those creatures are just like sitting there and your opponent's casting their wrath and stuff. So I think it's cool. I'm not sure how good it is though. Yeah, so like this just strikes me as a worse um card than like living death or Patriarch's Bidding, like if that's the type of effect you're going for. Worst case, it is five mana to reanimate something, which is like the going rate for like a standard reanimation spell. Uh, one thing that kind of bugs me is that uh, A, you can't choose creatures from your opponent's graveyards, which I think you should be able to do, because that is like what the miracle playstyle kind of facilitates, like you said, more spells than creatures. Uh, but I also just kind of wish that this just made like two times X tapped to two zombie tokens. That feels like it would have been a little more on flavor and like played on this parallel to entreat the angels a little bit more for me. Since like you're just reanimating, like it just falls flat. Like when I heard the name and like saw the casting cost without reading the, the text, I just thought it made a bunch of two two zombies. And then when I read the text, I was like, oh, it doesn't do that. I wonder why. Yeah, the art is strange. I'm not entreating the dead, my grave crawler, or my tutu <laughs> zombies. So, yeah, I think it should have made zombies. But then but then you just have Army of the Damned or something, right? So I, I understand what they're trying to do, but I, I, I agree with Chris. It should be from everyone's graveyard. This feels super lackluster. I don't feel like putting it in my deck. There are so many better rea- reanimation spells. And you have to do a lot of work to set up your, your graveyard to make this work. And then you got to somehow miracle this, which is not easy. You know, it even could have made 4-4 four, four zombies. Because like then we have that exact parallel to like, oh, Eternalize from Amon Cat made 4-4s, four, yeah. Nicol Bolas. That's what's coming up in Guilds of Ramnica. You know, it's just like the exact opposite of Entreat the Angels. Like, that would have been cool too. Yeah, there's a lot of ways they could have done it and made it sweet, but I don't know if they actually picked one of those ways, unfortunately. Not that it's a bad card, it's fine, but ugh, not as good as it could have been. Why do you think they chose to make a Black Miracle? They they consciously said, we're not making Black Miracles because apparently you can't have Miracles in Black uh, during the block, but then several years later, they're like, here you go, guys. We, we finished the cycle. Well, so like during the block, the idea was that like, things were bad and Avicen's back and is going to save us so it's a miracle but like Avicen hates all of the the black aligned things so like I, I can understand thematically not having a miracle in uh, in the actual set uh, for Avicen restored I think it's kind of cool that they gave us one eventually because it is super flavorful um but it really is going to take a miracle to get me to play this card. I just think that they needed a top of your deck matters card, and then they were like, "All right, like we got we called it top of the deck matters, so we got to have a black miracle." <laughs> but, but they didn't do that for the Jun deck. Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got Yuriko, the Tiger's Shadow coming up. One blue and a black legendary creature, human ninja, one three commander ninjutsu, blue and a black. So what that is, is uh, pay the, the cost, boot to black, return an unblocked attacker you control to your hand, put this card on the battlefield from your hand or the command zone, tapped and attacking. 
And the ability is when a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player, reveal the top card of your library, and put that card in your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to that card's converted mana cost. Uh, probably the most powerful card and commander from the set, I would say. Like there, We were talking about alternate casting costs, and Nijitsu is not an alternate casting cost, so this gives you a repeated way to play your commander for two mana and draw cards with that commander, so... Uh, the only downside is there's not many ninjas. I think people will get caught up in making this a ninja commander, a commander, and you can play this with the ten ninjas that are in Magic, like uh, Moon, Moonfolk style, Tomer style. But I think that this is just a really good commander with Enter the Battlefield triggers and just a really powerful. Like people have compared it to Derevi, and I feel like that's actually a pretty good comparison. How you can just keep getting this commander back into play for cheap over and over and over again. Yeah, this card seems great. Like, uh, it might might even see play in Legacy, just because, like, the rate is very good. The ability is pretty sweet. Um, I do like that it just triggers each time a ninja deals combat damage. So, like, if you happen to get a turn where you do it twice, like, you could just dome everybody and get some cards, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, I'm not surprised to see that this... I think this is the most expensive... Uh, non-mythic out of all of the decks, and I think it might even be more expensive than the mythics. I think it might be the single most expensive card, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, it looks like Amina Tau is the only uh, the only other one that's in the $10 range, and this one's about 10 bucks. so yeah, this card is, it's not you know, as expensive as it is by accident, it is real sweet, I think it's going to see a lot of play. Um, on top of that, it's like these types of things uh, there are a lot of black and blue ninjas, and there have been, you know, I think that Vela of the Nightclad is the only other, like, legendary Demir ninja that you could use as your commander. It's not very exciting, but this one is, like, you're going to do a lot of stuff with your commander every game, and that that is gameplay that I find very enjoyable, is when you're actually using your commander for cool things. Yeah. Uh... This card is too good. Like, there's no commander <laughs> tax. You just keep ninjutsuing this thing back and forth. It's not hard to make things unblockable in commander. Um, we even have the Dominaria. Uh, who is it? Was it Ume Umezawa? The rogue fugitive that makes your creatures with power one or toughness one uh, unblockable. Uh, you ninjutsu this thing, and I'm just looking forward. I don't know what's the most expensive card in Magic right now in terms of mana cost. That's legal in Commander. Oh man, is Emrakul uh, still top of the chain? Draco, it's sixteen, I think. Yeah, I think it's Draco. Emrakul's banned, so yeah, Emrakul's banned. So sixteen. If you flip that thing, uh, if you have three opponents, you're doing forty-eight damage to the table. Uh, I'm just looking to do some stupid things with that that flip. Just dealing the raw damage, I think, is pretty good. Even something modest like uh, a six drop would deal eighteen damage to the table. So it gets it gets a lot of damage in. Yeah, it's a it is a very strong card. So Chris, you mentioned Legacy. Do you think what are the odds that this actually shows up in Legacy? Is it like uh, one of those kind of long shot type things, or do you think there's a pretty legit chance that it has a home? So I do think it's like one of those uh, kind of long shot type things, but like I could see it in in decks with like Delver Secrets, um, like. Or you know, young young pyromancer even maybe. Uh, there was a, 
there's been a lot of there was a lot of play when Deathrite Shaman was around with like going up to three drops and it does like sit in that same spot with Trinity Nemesis but like this type of effect is really really good and being able to play it for this alternate cost and like can't have it be counterspelled seems like it could be very very good uh, just like ways to get ahead in card advantage when you're in like these Grixis Delver style mirror matches is generally very powerful and this is just like one of those ways that, that you could take advantage of that are you ready to live the dream of Baleful Strix and Yuriko? <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you, cer- I, you certainly can. I don't think that that is like out of out of the question. Yeah. To be and then you just like brainstorm Emrakul to the top of your deck. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> also, when I hear Legacy playable and Commander playable, I think one v one Commander, and I wonder if this will do anything there. Uh, having a super efficient and powerful card. Uh, oh yeah, that has no like, commander tax. Like if, if if you're playing one v one commander and your opponent like ninjutsu's this on turn two, like how do you even beat that? Yeah, I I expect that this is actually probably better in competitive commander. Uh, just because competitive commander values that efficiency and stuff so much more than like four player multiplayer commander. So I feel like this is definitely going to be very good there. Even though that's not really like my area and I'm not a competitive commander player, but I assume that it's going to be very strong there. Okay, we're running long, but there's two really sweet cards which we really want to get to. So a Rixmithy's Slumbering Island, two in a green and a blue. It's a Kraken, legendary, 12-12. Enters a battlefield tapped with five slumber counters on it. As long as it has a slumber counter on it, it's a land. When you cast a spell, you remove a slumber counter from it and you tap it to add a blue and a green. So when you cast a spell, you may remove a counter, which is important because sometimes you're just going to want to keep this as a a, a four-mana double land. Like it's, It's a double ramp spell that also just happens to be a 12-12 that you can berserk and kill somebody in one shot with commander damage if they don't have a blocker. Yeah, this card's super sweet. It's like a very cool design, uh, and it's also just pretty powerful. A four mana add two mana spell is pretty decent. That's like an explosive vegetation or something. And then it kind of plays like a thing in the ice or something. If you want to play like a spell slingery style of deck and flip it around and just try to kill someone, you can do that as well. So seems like a, a super sweet commander, probably good for like Kraken or like a ramp style deck as well. I want to build the anti-synergy deck. I want, like, doubling season and proliferate. <laughs> and this thing, it comes in with, like, ten slumber counters. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's very sleepy. <laughs> but, uh, wait, what happens if you Vesuva at this thing? Uh, it's legendary, right? So... But you can just make it a 12-12. You, you, kill, you kill the one with counters, and it's like Dark Depths, but just a 12-12 with no hexproof, right? Yes, I think you'd make you'd get a 12-12. Uh, no, it would come in with counters. So, like, uh, Vesuva you choose as it enters the battlefield. Oh, or, right, I thespian mean, the stage. Other, thespian and, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Vesuva, yeah. literally. Yeah, you, you could Thespian stage it, and then you just get a 12-12. Huh. Uh, it actually opens a bunch of other things, too. Uh, if your opponent plays this, you can you can copy it, uh, you can clone this land thing. There's all kinds of weird things that can happen, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what people cook up. Or just strip uh, mine it. Or strip. <laughs> it's non-basic, right? You can wasteland it? <laughs> yeah, I, it's gotta be non-basic, I think. <laughs> you can blood moon it. <laughs> 
All right, last we have Zancha Sleeper Agent, one black and a red, 5-5, five, five, legendary creature minion. As Zancha enters a battlefield, an opponent of your choice gains control of it. Zancha attacks each combat if able and can't attack its owner or planeswalkers, its owner controls. Pay three, Zancha's controller loses two life and you draw a card. Any player may activate this ability. So this is a card that I don't think is actually good, but I really like it because it's just, it's so unique and it's another one of those cards. One of the main reasons I love Commander 2018 is it facilitates and like pushes you to building these really unique decks. So I think that the play pattern of this card is really funny. Like I imagine playing this and like giving it to Tomer and then I get to kill Tomer just by drawing cards, which is like my dream way of playing Commander. Like I get to kill someone as I just draw cards. So I think it's really cool and get to be fun to build around, but I expect that it's one of those like janky, not very competitive style of decks, but still really unique and fun. Yeah, it, it, it's a, just a very flavorful card. I don't think it's super powerful, but, like, people love this weird stuff, man. Like you said, like, it's your favorite thing to do, right? You want to draw cards while killing somebody? Well, now you can. Yeah, I really... So can everybody else. <laughs> I really like giving stuff to other people and not being penalized for it. Uh, forcing players to attack other players and having immunity to it is a really cool thing. And it's a very Rakdos chaos thing. So I actually really like the flavor of this card. Wait, so when you give this to somebody and then they die, does it come back to you? Oh, I think it I think it would, and then you die. Yep. <laughs> and then your opponents can kill you? Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh... Live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> Yeah, it's a double. It's a double sleeper agent. <laughs> I mean, I guess you just uh, you're in red black, so I guess you just kill it and recast it and give it to someone else. Is probably probably the yeah. Idea. Oh my goodness! So uh, I think that wraps up our Commander 2018 discussion, and that went a little longer than we had planned. So for our Pro Tour breakdown, before we hit up some fish mail, let's keep it really simple. So we have a split format Pro Tour coming out, a Team Pro Tour, which is something that we have not had, uh, I don't think, ever in this current format, where it's Legacy, Modern, and Standard. So why don't each of you give me one deck from each format that you think is going to be like the top performing deck or if you were going to be playing and you got to choose a deck for each format what would you be playing at pro tour 25th anniversary so uh chris what do you what do you think what would you be playing in each format so i think that the peach garden oath is actually going to win (laughs) owen reed and huey and uh owen's going to be on black red in standard oh huey is going to be on mono green tron in modern and Reed is going to be on Blue White Miracles and Legacy. It is that's a good prediction and, for teams. And those, they're so good at team events. Peach Garden Oath is a very strong pick. And those those are the three decks that I would pick. I think that Black Red is still the best deck in Standard. Like you still have these, you know, and, and any of the top, you know, few decks in Standard: Black Red, Grixis, whatever, can, can win any standard deviation of a hand. But I think that Black Red is still the best and Owen is probably the best at playing that deck. I feel like in Modern, there really isn't like a heads and shoulders above the rest best deck, and I think that Tron just like has the best nut draw um, than all of the other decks and can still beat Hate because for some reason people still think that Blood Moon is going to stop them from just playing a five or six mana spell and win- winning the game. Um, and and in Legacy, I think that the Miracles deck has just gotten significantly better with the Deathrite Shaman being banned and the uh, 
fundamental turn of the format is kind of slowing down a little bit. So th those are the three decks that I expect to win the whole thing. Richard, do you have any predictions for us? That's not a fun answer. I would like to say, though, I just can't imagine... You know, being at the Pro Tour and lining up against Peach Cardinals. Like, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe on a good day you can squeak out a victory on a 1v1. But now your team as a whole needs to <laughs> actually win. It's, like, so slanted in the, the favor of the Pro. So I wonder if we're going to get a star-studded top 8. Or is it just going to be like any other Pro Tour where you're going to have, you know, some, some local heroes and then uh, your pros are, you know, or this is just going to be, like, the 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 most accomplished top eight we've ever seen like ever but for decks uh, i want to see some fun decks i want to see i want to see a sarkin sweep is this possible sarkin can win in standard okay we can have a sarkin dragons deck we saw a sarkin modern deck is there a sarkin legacy deck or maybe he'll have to tag team in tybalt <laughs> oh gosh, I hope not. Legacy deck. But I don't know about Legacy, but I, I do hope we get something spicy. Uh, I'm interested to see Sarkin. I know people called him Tybalt. Uh, he is not Tybalt. He is actually very good in Limited. Uh, he is very good, or he has a point in Standard, let's say. Uh, so he is not the Tybalt, and I wonder if this is his time to shine. Maybe, maybe we'll get some spotlight on some Sarkin action this weekend. I think it's likely, because you know Wizards, uh, and rightly so, loves to spotlight the new cards at these Pro Tours, so I expect if we do see, like, Sarkin, Scred Dragons, if someone's playing that in Modern, pretty good chance that we're going to see it on camera, so. Uh, I Also, I think you're very right that the format does favor good players, exactly like you mentioned, where if you're playing against three really good players, your odds of your team, uh, of that team not winning two out of those three matches is a lot lower, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see teams with a lot of the best players uh, at the top of the field, because that's what happens in team events pretty consistently. We see uh, teams that have three really good players kind of rise to the top, so it should be a really fun and interesting weekend. Uh, Deck-wise, I think that we're going to see red-black aggro slash midrange be the dominant deck in standard. Uh, but my hopeful pick is that some people show up with the mono blue storm deck, which has kind of been on the rise. And maybe, maybe you can make an argument for it being the right deck to play at the tournament. In modern, I'm petrified that since we're going to have a lot of really good players and modern specialists, most likely playing their format, that we might see KCI kind of have its breakout pro tour party and be the dominant deck of the Pro Tour, uh, although Tron is also in that scary category, but I'm expecting unfair decks to do well, so KCI uh, would be my pick, and I don't really know the current, like, post-ban legacy metagame that well, so I'm just gonna go with Mono Red Prison, because I like Blood Moons, uh, that deck is really fun and sweet to me, so I I'm hoping that we see some Mono Red Prison in the legacy format. Yeah, I mean I, th that deck could easily facilitate like Sarkin and then the dragons. So maybe your maybe your dreams will come true. Oh, so any other pro tour uh, quick hitters before we head off into the land of Fishmail to wrap things up? Uh, so I my I think that well, so this kind of tacks on to the Commander twenty eighteen we were just talking about. I think the sleeper card in terms of could potentially make an impact at Legacy is Aminatau's Augury. Uh, six blue blue, exile the top eight cards of your library. You can put a land from them into the battlefield until end of turn for each non-land card type. You may cast a card of that type from among the exiled cards without paying its mana cost. Uh, I think that this card has the potential to just be another one of those combo cards in Legacy. And it strikes me kind of similar to 
um, dig through time when you're able to have like omniscience or dream halls on the battlefield. Um, it's not obviously not as good as dig through time because like digs big thing was that you could cast it to find your combo pieces and still combo off. But I, I I'm kind of hoping that I see something with augury. Um, using your dream halls and omniscience and cunning wish and emerald and stuff like that uh, over the course of the weekend because eight mana is not a ton and you know five mana is also not a ton as far as using something like dream halls to be able to cast it. All right, Ooh, so let's move on and uh, and wrap things up with some fish mail here on the way out the door. So Richard, take it away. All right, we're going to blaze through some fish mail this week. If you have any questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail. We'll get to your questions on air. We talked about this briefly. Uh, Redwind1, what do you think about the Scred Dragons list from the SCG Tour Modern Classic? Uh, this would have been last week's classic. So if you're not familiar with the deck, it plays Sarkin, Thunderbreak Regents, Glorybringer, Stormbreath Dragons... And then it has Scred, Lightning Bolt, Anger of the Gods, Draconic Roar, and of course, Seth's favorite, Blood Moon. Is this a real deck, Seth? Or do we get some Blood Moon wins out of this? Uh, I mean, it is a real deck, I think. I don't know if it's significantly better than, like, past Scred decks, which have occasionally cropped up in one tournaments. But really, like, you're janky people out of the game with Blood Moon, and then Sarkin into Huge Dragons is your way of finishing the game. Is that better than just, like, playing Koths and Pianolars and stuff? I think time will tell. So I think it's legitimate, but I'm not convinced it's that much better than any other Slamma, Blood Moon, and Hope for the Best type strategy. Yeah, so I actually played the deck for a bit after uh, Ozzy won that tournament. And it's certainly uh, it's a deck that just had four Blood Moons in it that did well with four Blood Moons. Sarkin <laughs> <laughs> was it not even the had, all-star. <laughs> and it even had Stormbreath Dragon in it, which is like my favorite card. But yeah, it was. it felt really awkward to play in a lot of spots where Blood Moon wasn't just kadonking your opponent out of the game. <laughs> I'm just going to say that I don't think Tybalt ever took down a tournament with four Blood Moons backing him, so <laughs> well, plus one for Sarkin. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Uh, we have Colby W 25 What are your thoughts on a mechanic where a spell has an alternate ability if it's countered? Perhaps it could be something like a reverse overload effect where if it's countered, you change the word from each to target. Uh, I mean, that could be cool. I don't know if that's too narrow to really be a popular mechanic it might just be too narrow but i mean it's it's kind of a cool idea like cards that go to the battlefield when they're discarded instead of going to your graveyard so i could see it as like specific if control was really good having a card with that mechanic is like a way to fight through the control decks in standard or something yeah i think that something something more akin to um not so much something used to fight counters but just an additional effect that kind of has this secondary it's good against counters so you know just a mechanic where you know on the card when it goes to the graveyard from anywhere you get like a 1-1 spirit token or something so that even if they counter it you're still getting something out of it but if they don't counter it then it's priced accordingly to where like you get a 1-1 spirit in addition to the effect so it's not super busted 
I think that I would rather see something like that than something that is just targeted to fight counters because that's like really narrow and niche. Yeah, I actually really like this idea because it takes away the feel bad of counter spells, which players don't like. But then to make this mechanic, they'd have to have like a counter spells matters theme, which uh, would be very awkward because I don't think they want that for standard. But I can imagine, let's say, a three mana four four, and maybe like if it's the target while it's on the stack or something, it enters a battlefield with two minus ones. Two minus one minus one counter, so it enters as a two two or something. Can you just have Loxodon Smiter and <laughs> be like, "Hey, it can't be countered." <laughs> yeah, but but that's that's very annoying to play against, right? So this this gives you some something that's not as busted. Like you can just have Thrun, right? But people don't like Thrun too much, so you you make Thrun a little weaker. Uh, Latch Boil Goldfish Crew. I'm in the process of building a medium cube full of almost playable or suboptimal cards. Are there any pet cards from MTG past that were never quite good enough or constructed? that you would like to feature? Uh, Rune Boggle. I would go with Rune Boggle. That might actually not even be a medium cube. That might be mediocre cube. But man, when you get the three <laughs> mana four spike draw a card, it is the greatest feeling. Um, that's a good question. I don't have an answer off the top of my head, but I'm sure that there are plenty. Oh, actually, um, the oh, there's a blue enchantment in Innistrad that whenever you play Nistar Sorcery, you get a clue. Oh. Something investigations? Yeah. Oh man, I can't remember the name. But yeah, I know the card you mean, but I can't think of the yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. We have a battle deck based around that and Gear Parader Grid, and that's like the only way that you win is by pinging them with your clues. <laughs> and like that card giving you clues when you play instance or sorceries actually has impressed me quite a bit, and I'm kind of sad it never saw like actual constructed play. Yeah, I think uh, in the spirit of our former co-host Chaz. Whenever we have a regretful card, we must bring up Underworld Cerberus. <laughs> it's a 5-mana 6-6. Six, six. <laughs> it looks so good on paper. Why did it never see any play? Uh, this would be a good home for it. <laughs> uh, from the Streakus, I think Arena highlights the need to kill rare land cycles. They aren't exciting to open for new players, and it just feels bad using wild cards. It won't ruin limited, just move them to uncommon, and they'll still be, like, $2. I think Wizards needs rare land cycles to sell sets. Uh, that's the one guaranteed cards every set that are standard playable, and sometimes even modern playable. So I would rather just see them give people lands on Magic Arena and you not have to, uh, you not have to, uh, wild card them because i think it's a non-starter for wizards to get rid of rare uh dual land cycles uh they could just make it so that like when you redeem one rare wild card for a not for a land it just gives you the full four instead of only one Ooh, that would work too yeah that would be a good upgrade yeah but that doesn't solve the paper players who <laughs> you know you gotta buy a play set of rare lands when you want a, a standard deck and it just doesn't feel good to buy lands like Hearthstone, you don't even have lands. They're free. You don't have mana screw, and you don't need to pay money for these things. So I think Wizards should go towards um, making that resource more available. So I, I like the fact that there's strategy to lands. You know, there's basic versus non-basic. You don't want to get Blood Moon. Your lands have abilities. You know, there's some design choices there. But I don't like how we have to fork over to buy, say... Shock lands because you need shock lands for every deck, and if you don't have them, your deck is suboptimal. But I'd rather be spending my money on cool cards that are fun than like shock lands. Uh, next question Matthew Watson, which commander is better for a graveyard strategy? Isareth, the Awakener, or Gyrus, Waker of Corpses? 
Seth, didn't you play Isareth recently? I did play Isareth. I got mana screwed, and it did did not go the way I was hoping. <laughs> Hopefully that episode is has been published already, and it's not next week's episode. If not, spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> I think I would go with uh, Gyrus. I think while I don't think it's an ex- one of my favorite commanders from the set, it's a lot bigger, and you still get the three mana three three, and you don't have to pay any mana for the reanimation ability. So I think it's just a more powerful commander, uh, discounting the fact you're in three colors. But card for card is just a more powerful version of Isareth. All right. Yeah, I I agree. And green gives you some cool stuff, grizzly salvage, etc. Uh, etc. Et All right. Last question from Josh Pig. Ham and pineapple and pizza is the king of pizzas. What do you have against it? Seth, I believe you had a Twitter poll recently. What was on that Twitter poll? Okay, so answer me this question, Chaz and Richard. Which is worst, ketchup on eggs or pineapple on pizza? Which is which is more disgusting? Hey, I'm not Chaz, and I eat both of <laughs> oh those. Oh, my God. Richard said Chaz. Sorry. I'm so sorry, Chris. You eat both of those? What? I eat both of those. Oh what is ketchup, ketchup on, on eggs? eggs is delicious, and pineapple, and it's Hawaiian pizza is what it's called, for those of you who are uninitiated. <laughs> it's Canadian bacon and pineapple, and they're both delicious, and it probably is from uh, a Pacific Northwest thing. How the tide has turned, Seth. We have two pineapple and pizza eaters oh, on the no. podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I just really enjoy pineapple. So Honestly, it's not so much that it makes the pizza, like it doesn't enhance the pizza to the point where it's like, I can't eat pizza without pineapple, but I'll have pineapple on just about anything. I think pineapple on pizza is absolutely disgusting and horrible. Uh, ketchup on eggs, I don't think is actually that bad. I mostly brought it up because I think Ari Lax was tweeting pictures of it and stuff. So it made me think of it. I don't eat ketchup on my eggs normally, but it doesn't gross me out like pineapple on pizza does. What, what kind of eggs are we talking? Are we talking like scrambled eggs? Yes, yeah, scrambled yeah. eggs. Like you, why would you, why? Why would you put ketchup on any other type of eggs? Why would you put ketchup on any? I've never heard of this. I wonder where it's... Like, if I go to a doc... I guess they just have ketchup on the table, so you can just throw ketchup on anything you want. I know. Yeah. I've never tried this before. I'm going to have to try this and report back. Uh, Give it... It's not that gross. It's not that gross. It's not my preferred way of eating eggs, but I wouldn't, like, refuse to eat eggs because they had ketchup on them. I mean, I've probably accidentally done this. You know, you got some ketchup (laughs) on hash browns or something. Exactly. And then they got it on your eggs. You're like, whatever, right? It's cool. (laughs) It's all breakfast food. So I probably eat it accidentally somewhere. All right, that's all our fish meal for this week. Thank you for everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, you can send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishmail. And I think that brings us to the end of our podcast for this week. So, everyone, thank you for listening. Chris and Richard, thanks for hanging out. Again, thank you to Spikes Academy for supporting the show. Check them out. 10% off with the cold goldfish over at spikesacademy.com. So, we will be back next week. We will have pro tour results and tons of tournament stuff to talk about and whatever else happens this week in Magic. So, until then, have a wonderful weekend. This is it.